Welcome to the Close Knit Podcast, a podcast that aims to hold space for conversation to be had about the ways we use fiber to process life and world events. You're listening to episode 35, and this week I spoke to Tal Fitzpatrick, a textile artist working primarily in applique quilting. Tal's story is one that I'm so excited to share as she found textile and fiber art later in life than many guests I've spoken to on the podcast, though you'll learn that she has a family history of pretty amazing fiber art. Tal explains how working in natural disaster community resilience projects eventually led her to pursuing her PhD and how she looks at craftivism in her active participatory research. Tal has has been working on a number of incredible, large-scale, socially engaged craftivism projects in addition to her PhD, and she talks us through her research on craftivism, her working definition, and how she sees craftivism as a mode of DIY citizenship. This conversation with Tal was one that had me reeling for days after. I was trying to explain the conversation to other people in my life, family members and friends, how everything Tal mentioned just resonated so deeply for me. I can't wait to hear what the podcast community thinks of this episode. I also want to mention that Tal's PhD exhibition will be on display from the 7th to 10th of March at the King's Artist Run Initiative on King Street in Melbourne. For all those Oz-based listeners, I'd highly recommend checking it out, and please someone take pictures for me. Listen on for our whole chat. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hey, just a quick note to say thank you so much to those who have pledged on the Close Knit Patreon so far. Your support means so much to me and will mean a better quality podcast that I can sustainably produce long term. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Patreon, it's similar to the way that community radio gets funding. It's a way to give me as little as $1 a month to say thanks. Your pledges also give you access to content I'll be creating just for patrons and sneak peeks at content that I'm creating for the podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast through Patreon, you can find the link in the show notes for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Now let's get back to the regular show. Hey, it's Ani of Close Knit, and I'm here with Dal Fitzpatrick. Hi, Dal. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Good. Um, thanks for chatting with me. I know it's like we had to figure out funny times of day and I haven't actually, you know, what's interesting is you were just straight on the ball with all of the like time different stuff. Like I just told you what time it was where I was going to be and you're like, yep, yep, I'm on it. <laughs> it's taken really me nice. a long time, but it's, it's because Stephanie uh, is, is in Arizona. So we've been uh, doing a lot of Skyping for the UDHR project. So we've kind of like got I it down. See. I see. Can you, for the listeners, and me really, talk me through who Stephanie is and what the UHDR project is, UDHR? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I can. So um, the UDHR project is the Universal Declaration of Human Rights Quilt Project, which is a craftivist project that I'm working on at the moment, um, which is a collaborative project between myself and a Phoenix-based artist called Stephanie Dunlop, and... uh, 120 plus embroidery artists from over 22 countries around the world who represent over 41 different nationalities. Um, So (laughs) yeah, it's a big project. Um, And what we're doing is we're making four quilts that Uh each have all of the 30 Universal Declaration of Human Rights articles embroidered onto them. And Mm -hmm. the way we're doing that is each artist is embroidering one article 
and then I'm making them all into quilts. And we had so many people sign up to the project when we put the call out that instead of turning people away, we decided to make four quilts instead of one, which is why there's 120 artists instead of just 30 for the 30 articles. Right. So I feel kind of ignorant not really knowing like what the Universal uh, Declaration of Human Rights is. Can you tell me what that is? Yes, um, and I encourage everyone to go read up about it. But uh, basically, the like easiest way to explain it is um, it was uh, a declaration that was written, and I'm going to have to check the dates and like put it in the show notes, but <laughs> like yeah. post-war, um, that outlines 30 basic rights that it was kind of agreed on by the UN that every human being has. Um, and it's a very, it's a very kind of formal legal document. It's a bit jargony, but it's a, a like, it's really inspiring in that it kind of captures the best of humanity's egalitarian aspirations, um, and is kind of a standard with which we can like measure how we're doing. Um, and I guess unfortunately. The, the declaration is being violated all across the globe in all different kinds of ways. So this project is kind of looking to talk to that, to say, first of all, this amazing article, like this amazing declaration exists and we should be mm -hmm. stoked about it and everybody should know about it because mm -hmm. I hadn't, like, I hadn't read through them all properly. And when you read through it, you're like, oh, yeah, I do have the right to do that and I do have this right, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. And then... And then we're kind of using the quilt project as a platform to kind of point out where all of these things, where all these aspirations are not met. So each artist is kind of choosing um, their own human rights violation that they want to talk about or raise. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are doing it about what's happening in their countries or in their communities, um, which is why it's cool that this project has such diverse representation from across the world and including people who are, doing their work in, you know, embroidering in different languages as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, I, I really do encourage everyone to go look up the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and learn about it because it is something that we should cherish and, um, you know, encourage ourselves yeah. to live up to. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I think, <laughs> I mean, I'm definitely going to go read it after this, after we finish talking. <laughs> um, but I'll, I'll put a link to, you know, whatever we can, in terms of researching it on the internet, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, I have like so many questions, I think, around your work in craftivism and how you put these things together. But I think before I ask those more specific questions, I'd love for you to just talk me through a little bit of like your personal history and um, your work with fiber, like what sort of medium you work within. Yeah. Okay. So um, where to start? I work in um, applique quilting mostly um, and I machine embroider most of my work. Um, I do do a bit of embroidery and stuff just for funsies, but I'm not very good at either. I'm... <laughs> I'm like a recent textile uh, uh, kind of hanger on. I started doing work in this medium when I started my PhD actually about mm. four and a half years ago. 
Um, so my PhD research is about craftivism as a as a mode of DIY citizenship. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, when I was thinking about how I do research about socially engaged art and art that looks at um, kind of issues of social justice, I was thinking about what the best way to kind of work with communities is. And as a feminist, I was particularly interested in the um, kind of history of how craft has been used to that effect. Um, mm. And I chose applique quilting specifically because my grandmother, um, Dawn Fitzpatrick, is actually an amazing artist who's been practicing since the mid-1970s um, uh, using applique quilting as her kind of medium. And she makes these amazing, um, she's 96 now, she's not making them anymore, but she made these amazing large-scale wall hangings that were figurative and incorporated um, kind of quilting and applique techniques with drawing and painting and printmaking. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, so they, they've always kind of been hanging up in my house and I had one over my bed my whole life. And when I realized that that's what I wanted to do, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. It was like, duh, of course, that's what you want to do. Like before this, I did my kind of undergraduate degree in, um, an interdisciplinary practice. So I did everything from like video art to installation art to, you know, I did like a million things, but as soon as I kind of found my own sewing machine and started doing applique, I was like, oh, this just makes sense. Like I, for some reason, can just do this. Yeah. So this was the textiles part of it is really recent for you. Did your grandmother or anyone like teach you to sew or anything? Do, do you have a memory of someone teaching you crafts or something with fiber when you were a kid? No, not, no. Uh, mm. <laughs> it's all kind of new, but but, yeah. um, but my dad was taught by my grandmother because he and all of his siblings actually used to get recruited to helping Dawn make these works because they were they were really freaking huge. They were like wall-sized things that she used to make in the house mostly because she was a, a mum with five kids. So they'd all get recruited and my dad used to have to help fix her sewing machine. And so dad had like a lot of tips for me when I started making around how to like make things easier and how to use like... Uh, iron on violin to like transfer my patterns and like all these cool shortcuts <laughs> so that was I guess one way that I was like passed down that knowledge um yeah. and in other ways Dawn actually um published a book uh which is called um oh I'll I'll get the proper full title so people can find it and we can put it in the show notes too but um it's like a folk art applique quilt book that has like a bunch of her quilts and very unhelpful instructions on how you can make them but it also includes her <laughs> drawings um, uh -huh. and shows how she used transferred drawings into like applique patterns which was really helpful so I use her work as inspiration a lot. Wow that's really cool and a really different um, I think I guess part of why I asked that like quite leading question about whether you remember doing it as a kid or anything is because a lot of people have um like that I interview for the podcast but in general have this kind of trajectory of like learned as a child maybe forgot about it for a while picked it back up as an adult in some capacity or another maybe for to cope with this or that or mm -hmm. whatever's going on in their lives so it's just really interesting to me that like it's kind of 
there wasn't, you don't have a memory of it being part of your childhood, except insofar as it was like on your walls and like above your bed. Yeah, it was like physically present. Right. I just like, I wasn't doing it myself, but right. there, it was definitely present yeah. always in my life. And, and drawing is probably like, like my grandmother taught my dad how to draw and my dad taught me how to draw and um, that was kind of probably where my artistic life began. Mm. Um, and that's, you know, when you break down what I do, drawing is still very much at the heart of it. It just happens that I'm doing it with a sewing machine now. Yeah, yeah. Do you find that you get the same kind of, I don't know if catharsis is the right word or, or like whatever it is for you that you get from sewing, do you find that in the actual physicality of, or sorry, from drawing, do you get that in the physicality of sewing? Like, do you ha physically feel softened by it, I guess? It's definitely, um, I guess, a very, um, it's not, it's not like quite meditative, but it's probably like as close to meditation as I get. I'm, I'm more like a, okay. um, a, an embodied, you know, I need to be physically doing something to like get out of my head. So sure. just that, and, and the sounds too, like the sound of the sewing machine and, um, once you know particularly when you're doing like the quilting bit and it's just like this huge thing where you're just doing the same thing over and over it's yeah it's mm. pretty zen sometimes yeah no I find that as well with the sort of active meditation like I don't yeah. I don't find myself getting into a spot where I feel like I'm actually out of my out of my brain <laughs> um, unless I'm doing something with my hands so I totally know what you're talking about so the sewing, the textiles came post starting your PhD. Is that the right order of events? It was kind of like, so I decided to do a PhD after working full time in the nonprofit um, voluntary community sector for about four years. Um, and the reason I went back to creative practice was because um, I was doing, I was delivering this project called the Natural Disaster Resilience Leadership Project, which was a capacity building um, program for leaders in disaster affected communities. And I was really fortunate to get to go to over 20 communities across Queensland and New South Wales and even in um, uh, New Zealand post the earthquake and Japan post the um, floods and kind of hear about what made people resilient and how they um, kind of rebuilt their lives and everywhere I went I just heard stories about how integral creative expression and arts and crafts were to communities being able to rebuild and to and for individuals to be able to um, process and cope and grieve and um, find new meaning um, so yeah I kind of got to the point where I was like no oh, maybe I should go back to art because I kind of you know, I left university um, and, and I was kind of like, oh, maybe I'll be more useful if I like do something in the community sector. It has a way of feeling kind of like self-involved and selfish sometimes and like maybe you're not being helpful enough or whatever it is. So I kind of left the arts for the, that couple of years that I was working full time. But yeah, that, that experience of being in those communities that were like in crisis, but making space for creativity and that being so important and transformational for them kind of 
um, you know, gave me that kick and reminded me that it is actually a really powerful practice for change making, um, which is why I returned to it. And yeah, I, and again, when I when I kind of thought about how I do that and how I might engage with communities, applique quilting just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I, yeah, then I, not long after I found Betsy Greer's book, um, Craftivism, and I was like, oh, this is it. This is what I want to do with my life. Like, this is what I want to do when I grow up. So from then I haven't looked back. <laughs> uh, that's incredible. Like I just... Every time I talk to people about how the pieces of their lives kind of like settle in to make who they are, what, what it is that they're doing now, it's like, I mean, it's fascinating and it's always so interesting, but it's also um, really validating. Like I think you especially talking about leaving the arts sector kind of being like, oh, this feels self-indulgent. Am I actually making a difference? going somewhere where you're like, well, this is a really obvious difference that I'm making, but then finding that people were coping by like the, you know, that original practice that you had, but that was really important to you, but that felt itself indulgent was like actually really important. Um, and it's, yeah, I'm really, it's, I'm really glad that you, that you could bring that up today to talk about the, the fact that part of what made communities resilient was having a creative practice was like, part of how they you know like you you mentioned all of those things of how they were coping with it the grief and uh, it's just yeah and that's really cool that's really really cool to hear how that how that came back to where it did um so then you were didn't did you like design a kind of phd around you were like all right craftivism this is the lens through which i'm kind of looking at um how communities are resilient is that kind of would that be the right way of saying it yeah it was always it's always there um mm. in my mind that that kind of understanding about how it feeds into resilience but I, I started doing my research in 2014 and like between then and now there's been a lot kind of written and discussed about craftivism and it's gone through like a bit of a boom but at that time particularly at like an academic level there wasn't a lot written or researched about craftivism. So it was some pretty basic questions that I was starting to ask myself, like what make it, is it effective? What makes it effective? Mm -hmm. um, as a craftivist, how do you maximize um, the way that you can um, kind of mobilize change or inspire people to change their behaviors so I was just asking these really basic questions of like what is craftivism how does it work how can I do it in a way that um you know I feel like is making a difference and and what is that difference that it's making if you had to like give a basic definition of craftivism what would you say Ooh. um <laughs> Do you want me to read my like a super formal one? Oh, totally up to you. I've, I, just, like, I was just curious. one as part of my dissertation. Ooh, yeah, let's hear that one. I want to hear All that right, one. All right, give me two secs. <laughs> I'll open it up. I'm like, so my um, final exhibition is coming up and as part of that I'm going to be launching like a little craftivism manifesto handbook um, oh, for people. Cool. So that'll be awesome. available after uh it'll be available mid-march and i'll make it um i'll share that freely online so if people want to keep an eye out for that 
um, yeah. they can do that. But I'll, I'll read you my definition. And if people are listening and they want to tell me what they think about it, I'd love to hear back from all the other craftivists because it's, it's an interesting thing, actually. Um, there's been like a lot of resistance to defining craftivism because um, particularly people like Betsy Greer, um, who coined the term if people don't know, um, kind of didn't want to leave anybody out by creating a definition that was too restrictive because um, part of craftivism's kind of basic tenets is uh, radical inclusivity. Um, so, but anyway, I've, I've had a stab at it and this is my definition. Okay. Craftivism is a strategy for nonviolent activism and a mode of DIY citizenship that looks to influence positive social and political change at both the macro and the micro scales. It involves a combination of craft techniques with elements of social and or digital engagement as part of proactive effort to bring attention to or pragmatically address the issues of social, political and environmental justice. Craftivism can take the forms of acts of donation, beautification, notification, or be deployed for its individual capacity building and therapeutic benefits, or for its ability to strengthen social connections and community resilience. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, that's beautifully worded, really well worded, I think. And that seems to cover, like, that seems really, that seems like a very inclusive definition to me, you know. Yeah, it is a question you get asked all the time, like, what is craftivism? And the easier way to explain it is, like, the Venn diagram of craft and activism. Right. Um, but part of my research has been to say that it's, um, you know, activism is actually a very specific thing with very specific goals. Um, uh, and, and some people argue, um, like Sarah Corbett, for example, that there are some things that are considered craftivism at the moment, like donation, that shouldn't be considered craftivism because it's not activism. Um, so that's why my research is kind of saying, well, actually, it, um, it's also a part of active citizenship and some things there, there are some things that activists do or don't do that active citizens do do. Um, so, yeah. Right, yeah. It seems like that could be a whole other podcast conversation slash panel discussion. Slash PhD. <laughs> also that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we'll have to we'll have to you get can, your dissertation. You can read my dissertation <laughs> when it's up, yeah. Yeah. That's exciting. I mean, but this is the thing. Like most dissertations in the world I probably don't want to read, but I do want to read yours. <laughs> like that's and I'm sure for a lot of podcast listeners that would be an exciting dissertation to read. Yeah, I'm trying to make it really accessible because it is cool. Um I guess the the target audience for it is kind of makers and people who are interested mm -hmm. in making a difference and understanding how craftism works. So it's not yeah. gonna be too jargony. Awesome. That's great. <laughs> yeah academias you know as much as like you need specific language to be able to define especially cutting edge things yeah. that's where you get lost and that's where you lose yeah lose inclusivity basically or accessibility so mm -hmm. so it's a hard one I think um I want to know which if you can walk me through basically I was like looking at your website and I want to, <laughs> looking at all of the different, like, craftivism projects that you've kind of put on your website, I wonder if you could walk me through them in a way that makes sense to you, and maybe that's um, chronologically, like, the first one you did. Yeah. I've kind of 
been breaking my practice up into two main categories, which is like my individual projects uh-huh. um, and they're things I do like my um, textile protest banners, which I make um, and take with me to protests, but also exhibit or, you know, gift and trade. Um, and I also do a lot of um, like customizing jackets and um, clothing and thinking about how we wear our um, kind of values and political um, positions on our bodies and what that means and how that feels. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do a bit of that. Um, and I do um, some more artwork style things of like portraits of people like leaders who inspire me and that kind of thing. Uh, and then I do my collaborative, socially engaged projects, which involve um, less of my own political opinion and more kind of facilitation um, um, and creation of spaces where other people can voice their political opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's projects like um, the PM Please Quilt, um, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, Um, I did a project with a charity called the International Women's Development Agency where I raised funds and awareness um, for their work, which um, they do supporting women and girls in the Asia-Pacific region. Mm. So they're the kind of more inclusive, um, participatory projects that I do. Yeah, awesome. I have the PM Please quote up. And I was, before we started talking, I was I was looking at it because I mean there everything you're making is really moving and obviously really stunning and just like visually super appealing but this one in particular I just ha- I just kept scrolling and scrolling because at first I was reading through the concept and was just interested by it and then getting to read everyone's individual sort of messages was a little tear jerking for me <laughs> um, can you talk me through the PM please quotes yeah. So the PM Please Quilt was a project that came about um, when Malcolm Turnbull first came into office. And sorry for our non-Australian like listeners, right. but <laughs> right. Australia went through this phase where we had like five prime ministers changeover in a couple of years. Um, so this was like another new prime minister and he hadn't been voted in. He'd been like um, put in by his party, which is how our system works. Um, But that meant that people didn't have the opportunity to kind of have their say as part of an election and kind of express what it is that they were hoping for, what it is that they valued. And um, so he was taking over from Tony Abbott, which (laughs) particularly in my circles, he was not a well-loved leader. Um, And there was this real palpable sense I felt when um, Turnbull took office that people were kind of like, (gasps) maybe he'll be reasonable, like maybe we can talk to him, maybe he'll listen, maybe he'll be less um, radically right-wing and um, conservative. Um, So I wanted to kind of talk to people about what it is that they would say. So the basic idea behind this project is if you had the chance to say one thing to the newly appointed prime minister, what would you say? And the only limitations I put around this project were um, your message has to start with the words PM please and be about the length of a tweet. Um, And my proposal was that I would embroider all the messages that I collected from people within a three-week period onto a quilt and then give that quilt to the Prime Minister as a gift in the hope that 
he would read people's messages. It was kind of like my little Trojan horse because we can tweet at politicians all we like and we can, you know, even send them emails or write them letters, but it doesn't really make you feel heard um, and it doesn't really make them stop and notice. So I thought that uh, maybe this quilt would, would get noticed. Um, yeah. and, and gifting is a strategy I use a lot in my craftivist practice, as do many other craftivists, because it is a way to kind of um, engage people in conversations from a position of generosity and kindness that hopefully um, kind of means people reciprocate that just because it's human nature to do that. Um, so yeah, I collected 121 messages over three weeks. I didn't alter any, I didn't leave any out. It was like a really important part of the like democratic principles of this project that all the messages I received, I included on the quilt. Um, and they were all embroidered onto suit swatches. Yeah. So the, so the quilt's made of suit and ties, the, the borders are all cut up ties and, and, uh, and, the, and then the rest of it is suit swatches. And there's a portrait of Malcolm and his dog that had passed away not too long ago in the center just to really make him like the quilt even more. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, so I ended up taking the finished quilt to his office just before the election the following year um, and dropping it into his office. And they originally accepted it. Um, and it was with them and I got a letter from his office to say that he'd seen it and uh, if people want to read the full letter, it's up on my website, it's pretty funny. Um, but what ended up happening was they decided maybe it was best if I keep it. Um, and because uh, <laughs> there's some issues around giving gifts to politicians and giving artworks and, and they have like protocol around that stuff. So what I decided to do instead was gift the quilt to the Museum of Democracy, um, which is in Canberra, the Australian Museum of Democracy. Um, and they, I'm very happy to say, accepted it. So it's now part of their permanent collection at the museum. It's um, going to be taken care of forever and ever. And it's this interesting kind of time capsule now of what people really cared about at the time. And there was a few themes that kind of kept coming up again and again and they were um, address environmental issues, uh, legalize same-sex marriage, um, do something about the inhumane treatment of asylum seekers and offshore detention and, um, and, and domestic violence or address domestic violence in some way. So they were the kind of four key themes that came up time and time again. So it is a really interesting thing to go back through and read and, and see what you know, it's, I'm happy to say that gay marriage is now legal. So that's great. Um, yeah. but, but yeah, so it's, it's, it is an interesting time capsule. Yeah. I got a, like a pretty big shiver down my spine when you said legalized gay marriage, because that just felt, um, I, I lived in Australia when, when same sex marriage was legalized in America. And I remember feeling for maybe the first time ever proud uh, about being American. I was like, fuck, finally, like, great, you know, and, and kind of just, just proud, proud that like a country as big as we are and as, div you know, really divided in many ways as we are could do it. And then feeling 
feeling like, come on, Australia, get it together. Like We were know. really behind the eight ball on that one. I think we were like the 42nd yeah. country to do it and it's like terrible. Yeah. But we're there now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it felt good when it did happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I What I really would love to know about um, is, and maybe this is selfish of me because I'm just super curious about how you – actually execute these that is that like how do you organize and execute these craftivist projects because I feel like a lot of the times people have really good intentions around their craftivism cough cough myself but are like not that good at executing it or don't really know how to get the call out or how to actually get people to follow through or then what to do with the work afterwards Mm. you know what the end goal is is it donation is it you know can you walk me through I guess I you could talk about PM please in particular or um, just in general how it is that you've kind of gone about organizing your projects yeah well the way I manage my engagement with all my projects so the International Women's Development Agency 5050 project the PM please quilt um, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights quilt um, I've basically sourced all of the um, kind of participation and um, audience engagement via social media so mm-hmm. Instagram and Facebook are my main um, hangs and yeah uh, there's an amazing, one of the amazing things about craftivism is there's a really um, big informal network online of craftivists who, mm. and it's one of the most supportive and encouraging and generous and enthusiastic communities I've ever been a part of. Um, so with... Um, with the PM Please project, I just said, look, I'm making a present for Malcolm Turnbull. If you want to give me a message, please do. Um, and that was kind of shared around and, uh, and people just tagged me in their posts or whatever. And same with the UDHR project, um, Stephanie and I put a call out um, through our social media platforms and they were shared around and they were shared by a couple of people like Betsy Greer and Mr. X Stitch um, who kind of have much bigger platforms than we do but we we had so we were hoping to get 30 people we had 90 people in two days and 120 within a week and a half like it was crazy the response that we got Um, so what I've kind of learned is if you get the design of your project right if if you make and if you make participation kind of easy enough slash it's that interesting mix between it being like a an aspirational project that has like a big goal that people kind of get excited by but also making it really manageable to be involved in so I find that's like getting that balance right is really interesting um, but useful to think about if people are thinking about it um but yeah and I guess you you start you start small my first um socially engaged project the IWDA project I only had 50 people take part um and I I asked them to donate to IWDA and then I made a portrait of them as a gift and mailed it to them for being part of the project so again it's thinking about um reciprocity and if you're asking people to do something what is it that 
you're doing for them or, you know, how are you making their voice heard or how are you giving them a platform to express themselves or how are they, you know, are you able to give them something as a thank you or whatever. Um, it's, it, it's that building of connection and community that you can do. And the amazing thing about textiles and craftivism is you can like make that very tangible for people. So with the um, UDHR project, I've been receiving in the mail, like I received 120 uh, A4 sized embroidery blocks from people that I've never met, um, but they've all sent me little notes with it and little like stickers and like, oh, like beautiful handwritten letters. And I feel so connected to this community that are dispersed all over the world, but through, through uh, it doesn't feel like it's just social media because we've like exchanged this very tangible thing. Yeah. Yeah. That is like a really nice part of the way that we engage with like, like our craft in particular. That's yeah. This kind of like soft, really like supple thing that we get to touch and it's very much, a, it's very tangible. Yeah. I wanted to ask um, the universal declaration of human rights quilts. You have you you've gotten all 120 pieces. I've got like 105 at this point. Right, right. Okay. So like, what's next for it? What comes next? So what comes next is I'm going to be uh, exhibiting the 120 blocks just on their own, um, like up on a wall at my um, graduate exhibition, which is happening in Melbourne um, from the. 7th to the 10th of March if people are around um, and then once I finish my dissertation I'm going to in in the 1st of July I finish I'm going to make them into the quilts so the next step is to make them into the four quilts each with all 30 articles and from there what we're doing is we're going to be sending the quilts on a tour of around the world and the amazing thing about this network of artists is we have artists all over the world that we can like send a quilt to and have them help us kind of set up local exhibitions um and we're also going to be um making like a four-part zine slash book of the project because one of the one of the um kind of practical things that we're trying to, to achieve through this project is to raise money um for unhcr which is the united nations um agency that supports refugees and asylum seekers um so that's we kind of identified that as like a overarching global humanitarian crisis so that's what we're going to be raising project um, money for through this project um so we'll be selling books that have the image of each block from each quilt and the story behind them and like photos of the artists and where they're from um and we'll also be um, making some postcards and fun stuff like that. So we'll have a website up and, yeah, we'll be sending the quilt on tour. And so that'll be like, that's a big um, kind of probably next year, all next year we'll kind of be dedicated to getting that project out there and using it as a talking point, I guess. The, the other cool thing about these kind of projects is they're almost an education tool or I call them storytelling devices in my research, you know, these these artworks that we make, they perform a function which is to start complex conversations with people um, in a way that's kind of inviting and gentle, um, but also very poignant. So that's kind of the plan for the quilt. It's so stunning to me the way that everything feels like it's really 
it's really thought out. It's really well thought. <laughs> um, the way in which you're like, this is what we're doing with it. This is how we engaged people. Oh, and also we're going to raise money with it in this way. And this is how it's going to have a life after. That's the other thing I think that's so, so often missing from kind of craftivist projects is like, how does it have a life after the thing, you know? And for you to be like, it has a place in my grad show exhibit, but it also has a place in this other exhibit in a different form. And then that's how it's going to be, you know, these quilts will be a sort of travelable. <laughs> you could make them travel their, their size so yeah. that you could send them around the world. And the fact that you already have this network of artists because the, the way in which you designed it was that you'd have all these artists from around the world doing it. I just like, I think I'm just putting together all the pieces. Like it's really, really well thought out. Yeah. And I guess the, the key lesson here is like, I could never have done any of this stuff on my own, but we're not alone. Right. And one of the amazing things about like that I've gained from the UTHR project is this sense that there are literally hundreds and hundreds of people around the world who are engaged in textiles and use this medium as a way to kind of think through, problem solve, express, um, and act yeah. on their concerns around issues of social and environmental and political justice. So we have the power to tap into that and to kind of mobilize that in ways that are is really meaningful and also means that we can achieve these seemingly you know really big things without um yeah it, it's possible I guess but it's people power it's yeah. it's the fact that you you can't do it all on your own but if you know me and Stephanie got together and then we're like well we don't have to do it all on our own we can ask other people and maybe they're interested and and they are so I think that's been a really heartening thing I, I think that's with all textile practices yeah. like it's an amazing way to find connection and to make meaning yeah. and that's really I think at the heart of this and and at the heart of what gives me hope is is the fact that we we can still find these connections and this common ground and we can take action together to move towards the kind of world that we want to live in. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, as much as it takes all of these people, it takes a good organizer like you <laughs> to put to get it together, which is really rad. Like I think um you should be really proud of the work that you do. And I'm sure you are very proud of the work that you do. It's really, really cool. Really, really cool. Yeah, I think what we don't do enough of is like trust that we're, you know, people just undermine themselves so much. Like they assume, like, I haven't had the experience doing this, so I can't do it. Or there's people that are better at me, so I can't do it. Or, um, you know, I'm not confident enough, so I can't do it. But it's, it's honestly just a matter of like doing something and starting somewhere and and yeah. trusting that um, that you can or like taking that leap of faith like yes I am organized and I've got experience in project management but so does every single mum or anyone who's ever had to study and work at the same time or you know these are all transferable skills we just have to give ourselves permission and, um, and, and trust that 
we're capable of more than we think we are. Absolutely. Yeah. Can I ask you, while I still have you here, um, to tell me who some of your favorite craftivists are? I don't feel like I have a super wide network of craftivists, or I don't feel like they show up in my Instagram feed that often. Oh, there are so many. And my, like, what I would first say is the, the best way to find 120 amazing embroidery artists from all over the world straight away is to look up our hashtag for the UDHR project, which is just UDHR quilts. Um, and if you look particularly on Instagram, that's kind of where the project lives mostly. Um, you'll be able to scroll through and see the work of just too many amazing artists to name. Um, there's uh, a really cool craftivism project that's going down that I'd love to share with people um, called the Social Justice Sewing Academy. Um, yeah. So their um, Instagram handle is S-J-S-A-C-A-D-E-M-Y, um, Social Justice Sewing Academy. Um, they were founded in 2016 and they're an art program that bridges artistic expression with activism and work with like um, youth uh, from diverse backgrounds um, they're in the states and they kind of partner them with textile artists and make all of these amazing um, really political uh, works using everything from applique and embroidery um, and it's a really beautiful example of an intersectional um, kind of craftivist um, program really that I feel is really inspiring um, so I'd really recommend you guys go check them out and support them. They're actually doing some fundraising at the moment for the program. So I think that's something really worthwhile checking out. Um, I have to give a big shout out to my primary supervisor. Um, her, her name's Kate Just. She's an amazing textile artist um, and feminist extraordinaire. Her work is amazing. She's got this series called the Feminist Fan Series where she... She knits paintings, I guess is the easiest way to explain it, but um, she's kind of knitted these homages to all of her favorite feminist artists. Um, and it's a stunning collection of work. And she does, she does cool socially engaged projects too. Um, so I'm really honored to be working with her. Um, Stephanie Dunlop, who's the person I'm doing the UDHR quilt project with, um, is a mm -hmm. beautiful embroidery artist. Um, and you can find her at um, uh, Illuminate Embroidery, which only has one E, but we'll send a link to that, I guess, in our notes. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, I really have so many. There's a, a fellow artist of mine that I've exhibited with called Hannah Gartside, um, who's an amazing textile artist and does... Uh, amazing things with felt and makes all these geometric quilted forms um just beautiful dedication to the actual craft i'm always in awe of people who are like actually technically good because i have to say that i'm like technically terrible i'm like self-taught by youtube and i'm learning as i go and i'm kind of have a very rough and ready aesthetic which I love personally, but I so I so admire people who can actually do things properly. <laughs> so, so um, yeah. some other examples from 
uh, artists who are in the UDHR project include um, an artist called Janine Herschel from Austria. She makes these amazing machine embroidered animal portraits that are like photorealist and I just don't understand but it's gorgeous. Oh you should gosh. check it out. Cool. Um, cool. There's an artist uh, called Bolivia Vega who's from Venezuela um, and she did one of the most intricate and technically beautiful embroideries for the UDHR project about the human rights violations happening in Venezuela. Um, yeah, and her work's really gorgeous. Um, who else? There's a, an artist called William de Villers from South Africa who does really interesting work that's really different. And when I unwrapped her UDHR block, it smelled like horses and I like, it was so special for some reason. Like I had all these flashbacks and memories of being a little girl and being super into horses. But yeah, anyway, that's probably enough for now. But yeah, go check out the UDHR quilts hashtag and you will be inspired for days oh, awesome yeah i definitely when instagram came out with that feature of like following hashtags that was like i was like i gotta go find that quilt one that one i've been like <laughs> looking at a whole bunch so i am doing that i just it's nice to hear you talk about different parts of the project and the different people that you specifically engage with or like I was following Hannah and I was following Stephanie but I didn't know that Stephanie was Illuminate embroidery and how these things mm -hmm. are coming together and making more sense of course <laughs> yeah so when you yeah. do it, it does become like this community where you're like oh yeah I've seen that person there and now they're doing this and like right. like I've been involved in other people's crafters and projects and right. it's a kind of yeah I yeah it's a cool community get on board people <laughs> yeah well yeah and I mean it's I I don't know we we everyone approaches their making from different places and I think there is a level of kind of like quote selfish knitting or selfish whatever which is like so valid knit for yourself sew for yourself make things for yourself because we're doing a lot in our in our you know day-to-day -day lives for other people um, but not only that if I could interrupt like yeah, one of the reasons yeah. that making is so important and why I think craftivism is a particularly good way to engage in democracy is because when you learn how to make things, it improves your sense of individual agency. Mm. And in this world where we have so little opportunity to like materially engage and to um, feel like we're skilled in any kind of way or you know, that the, the experience of having an idea and then making that be a physical thing in the world is really powerful. And mm. it's something that you can be proud of and that you can share with people and that you can, you know, you get better over time and you learn that failure is okay. And they're all really important lessons that you can then, you can then take the confidence you get from just learning how to knit socks or whatever it is and, and use that same confidence and that same sense of agency in other parts of your life. So it is really important just to make for yourself and you shouldn't feel bad about that anyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a beautifully articulated way of, way of saying that. That's, <laughs> um, yeah, no, agree, completely agree. And really appreciate the work that you're doing the way that you're engaging other people and also your your 
the way that you've articulated the fact that like, yes, you are a person organizing this, but other people can be. And that's been my experience as well. Is like every time I've put something out there, it's been like very much a, I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm doing my best. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm probably going to use like language that wasn't the right language or um, I could have done better at something. But just like tell me. Someone just tell me kindly yeah. what I could have done differently. Or if you want to help, I'd like that help too. You know, it's kind of, I kind of always approach it from like constant work in progress. And like you, a bit of a rough and ready aesthetic, <laughs> teaching myself as I go. And I think that that's, I really, really appreciate that in other folks in just in just trying you know just kind of going yes there's a lot to be sad about in this world and there's a lot to a lot to be really disheartened about but there's so much to be hopeful about as well and to like bring this bring it in this work in craftivism I think is really important and it's really cool to see yeah it's yeah. it's given me more hope <laughs> I was never a very optimistic person and that yeah I feel like it's making me feel better about things, even as things seem to get worse. So Yeah, I mean, that's good. That's good. I, hope is, I don't know what we have if we don't have hope, basically. So <laughs> I think it's important. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? I don't know. I think we've had a good chat. If people do want to, if people do have questions um, yeah. or feedback or suggestions or you know, want some advice or whatever, I'm always on social media and yeah. super happy to chat to people. Um, I've gotten so much support and generous um, advice from people along the way, um, and I'm very happy to um, answer any questions if people have them about the projects or just technically how we've done them. Like there's a couple of people in um is one artist in Argentina who's going to be replicating the UDHR project as just like a template of a thing that can yeah. be done and we're super stoked with that like it's cool. yeah so if people want to have a chat they can reach out to me yeah rad um and then were you saying you're I know that for the um one of your works you were going to have like kind of a zine book that you're looking to mm. make but did you say that you were going to have that in terms for of the like UDHR. Sort of right, 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 right. Uh, so the okay. um, the Craftivist Manifesto um, yeah, is awesome. just like, that's just like a little booklet. It's like a 32-page A5 booklet that kind of um, cool. is the, it's not how to be a craftivist, but it's like how to think about making your craftivism more impactful and more ethical um, and more intersectional uh, awesome. so that's going to be I'll be sharing links out to that after I launch it at my grad show um, in early March so yeah if people okay. if people just follow me on Insta or Twitter or Facebook um, then they'll get the posts to that and I'll make that available on my website as a PDF download okay cool great yeah that's what I was wondering about because I was hoping to link to that Awesome. Okay, cool. Thanks for chatting with me. Thanks so much for having me. I've been really enjoying listening to the podcast. Oh, thanks for listening. You've just listened to episode 35 of the Close Knit Podcast. If you're liking what you're hearing, please consider supporting us on Patreon. That's one way that you can give us as little as $1 a month to help us keep this going. Thanks so much for listening. Till next time.